As you find your seats, if you want to turn me in your Bibles, we're going to be in three locations today. Again, our primary text for this whole Advent season is Isaiah 9. Really, we've been using just Isaiah 9, 6 as our, our primary text, and we're going to try to unpack that. What Isaiah was talking about 700 years before Jesus appeared about who was going to come to rescue us. Some incredible descriptions. Uh, from there, we're going to go uh, to Micah. Micah is going to give us a little bit piece of the story. We're going to look at Micah 5, 2 and the promise of the Savior to come. And then lastly, we're going to look to John and John 1. And it's John's description uh, of who Jesus was and is um, and how uh, Jesus stepped into this world. John, John's different than anybody else. I mean, Luke tells us about shepherds and, and Luke tells us so much of the story of Jesus. Uh, uh, his birth primarily is found in Luke. Uh, Matthew also tells us uh, part of the story, uh, fills in some detail. Uh, Mark doesn't really tell us. Mark just jumps in right with Jesus' baptism. Uh, but John, uh, John sounds a lot like Genesis. I mean, John starts from the very beginning as well. And so, and the beauty and the wonder of our great God and his great wisdom, he's given us four gospels. And each one will, will shed light on who this Jesus is. And it's just great, because listen, here's what I want you to get out of this scripture reading in this sermon. There's one story in the Bible. There's one overarching story of a God who loves sinners like us and who rescues us, and how he does it by sending his own son. So uh, if you're new to this, uh, we might be flipping around, and hopefully you can just follow along on the screen. But let me say to each one of us, may the wonder of the story of stories unfold in each one of our hearts of who God is and what he has done. Isaiah is going to tell us, and we're going to focus on today, that a child will be born to us. Listen, a child will be born to us who is everlasting. A child born who's everlasting. And a son will be given who is father. <laughs> okay, see the beautiful paradox already in God's word. I mean, it's amazing how paradoxical God's word can be. You're going to have a, a child who's going to be born, but he's ever always been. And you're going to have a, a son who will be given, but he is father. How can that be? So we're going to ask two questions as we unpack these two things. All we're going to do is look at what does it mean, everlasting? What does it mean, father? We're going to ask those, that question. And secondly, what does that mean to us? How to describe this? What is it saying? But more importantly, what does it mean? Because if we just hear what it says and don't embrace what it means, we're not a part of the story. But God wants us to usher uh, this story into our hearts. So let's turn to uh, Isaiah 9. I will start there, Isaiah 9, 6. And it says this, for a child is born to us, a son is given to us, the government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor. As we discuss this, it's uh, God has a plan to rescue us, Wonderful Counselor. He's mighty God, God is strong enough to find and to rescue each one of us. And this week, he will be called Everlasting 
Father, the Prince of Peace. Micah 5.2. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, are only a small village among all the peoples of Judah. Yet a ruler of Israel will come from you, one whose origins are from the distance past. And the, the Hebrew word, the same word, everlasting. The one who is everlasting, whose, whose origins are, are everlasting. So Micah knew not only would this child be born in Bethlehem, but he also knew that this child would be everlasting. And then we go to John. John 1, 1 through 5 and 14. John's gospel says this. In the beginning, the word already existed. The word was with God. And the word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him. And nothing was created except through him. The word gave life to everything that was created. And his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness. And the darkness can never extinguish it. Praise be to God for that reality in the midst of the darkness now. In verse 14. So this word, so the word, this is Jesus. He became human or he became flesh. And he made his home among us, or it really says he tabernacled with us. He, he pitched his tent with us. And it's a wonderful picture of how God has always tabernacled or templed or been with us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father, one, the Father's one and only Son. Let's pray. Father, I love the fact that your word it's so glorious and so filled with paradox. It reflects the God who you are, the God who is. That God, you are an amazingly glorious God. And God, you are mysterious. And we're going to try to enter a little bit into that mystery today. How in the world can a child be born that's everlasting? And how can a son be given that his father? God, I confess that I, I don't have the intellect, the gray matter, the ability to, to parse all of your mystery. No one does. And I thank you for the reality, God, that you are mysterious. Because if you were fully known, if we could put our arms completely around you, well, you wouldn't be God. But God, you want us to know you in spirit and in truth. You want us to know you and worship you as you've revealed yourself to us. So God, I pray that your spirit would fill this room. Fill this room with your presence and may it enlighten our dark minds. May it open our deaf ears. May it soften our hard hearts. And may it give direction to our wayward feet. And Father, we pray that you and you alone, your Son and your Spirit would receive glory, that we would receive understanding, and not just understanding, but wisdom. Wisdom to live for you. 
We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. We're going to look at this in these two words. Uh, He says again, for a child will be born to us who is everlasting. I have three things I want to tell you about what it means for this child to be everlasting. One is this, is that Jesus is outside of time. We'll look at what that means. Uh, That Jesus, the second one, is never outdated. And thirdly, that Jesus is never late when it comes to the fact that he is everlasting. When it says that Jesus is everlasting, it's telling us that Jesus existed before Bethlehem. And John says it very clearly that that in the beginning was this word and the word was with God and the word was God and all things were created in and through this word. And it tells us very clearly in case we forget who is this word, this this one who uh, is clearly God. In verse 14, it says, well, this word became flesh and dwelt among us. Well, we know we can put the pieces of the puzzle together. This word is Jesus. This is the eternal God who put on flesh. That Jesus has always existed. Wrap your mind around that. Jesus has always been. Jesus is eternal. And because he's eternal, here's the reality. Because he's eternal, he can step into time and help us who are in the midst of time. Sometimes you need outside help, don't you? Have you ever been in a situation where you feel like you're all in the same pit and you can't get out? You're all in the same cave or certain locations? I mean, there's, there's times in life where we feel trapped and we call for outside help. That someone from the outside, someone who is free from the circumstances in which we find ourselves, can leverage us out of where we are. Make sense? And so the beauty of Jesus being eternal is it gives him the fulcrum, it gives him the leverage to rescue those of us who are locked and bound by time. Um, Again, the celebration of Christmas, this amazing mystery is Jesus, who is eternal, became temporal. I mean, Jesus, who always was and outside of time, the creator of time, steps into time to get us, to leverage us. He stepped into time so he could lift us up so that we could become one with the Father, so that that we that are temporal, get this, wrap your mind around this, we who are temporal could become eternal with the Father. Everlasting means that Jesus is the bridge. Everlasting is as though he's the one who steps into time. Everlasting means is Jesus is, was, and will always be the only one, listen, the only one who will ever be able to leverage us out of the pit of sin and death. And the beautiful gospel story of this wonderful Savior named Jesus is that he crawled into the pit with us. The amazing truth of this Jesus is he would slither to the depths of where we have slithered. He would go into the darkness, as far as darkness as there was. And it says the darkness didn't overcome him. And the light of Christ shined around him. So Jesus being everlasting is that he is out of time. Uh, He's outside of time in a way to leverage us 
and bring us home. The second part of this, of being everlasting, is that Jesus is never outdated. He's never out of time. And this is very important of Jesus not being outdated and being outside of time for two reasons. One's a big word I'm going to unpack for you. Another one's an easy word to understand. When I say that Jesus is never outdated, I'm saying that Jesus is immutable. Immutable is a theological term describing God, which means this. He is unchanging. He, he, scripture says it this way in the book of Hebrews. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Being eternal means this, is that time does damage on all of us, does it not? Have you seen the mirror lately? Time affects us. Time wears us out. I mean, time, time has irreparable harm on our, on our bodies, our minds, our, our, our beings. And Jesus being eternal is saying to us that time will not destroy him. It will not change him. It will not wear him out. My community group gave me the hardest time the last couple of weeks that I wore what I thought was a very stylish jacket that they called a leisure suit. <laughs> and they said, Jeff, nice leisure suit. As a matter of fact, someone left a note on my pulpit in between services that wants to say something about my leisure suit. Talk about a sinner trying to interrupt us preacher's train of thought. But here's her loving point. Hey, that was a great jacket in the 70s, Jeff. Man, you would have been fantastic in the 70s, but that thing is outdated. That thing doesn't fit in these current times. Put it away. I'm going to wear it next week. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> there are things that are outdated. I'd love to see you right now and what you wore in high school except for those of you who were in high school. <laughs> I bet you'd say, oh man, that, that, that looks really good on you. I'm sure it would fit nicely too, wouldn't it? <laughs> reality is, is time wears things out. The reality is, is that time makes things no longer useful. I had the privilege this week of going to New York City and hearing a fellow named Tim Keller. Uh, he's not bad. Uh, <laughs> talk about gospel in the kingdom. He's a pastor, PCA pastor in New York City and another gentleman. And I, I love New York. Uh, I grew up in New York, nowhere near the city though. It was interesting. The subways are different. You know how you ride a New York subway these days? Uh, you get a little card. It's like a little paper card that you zip through and you can go through. Uh, I remember tokens. Does anybody else remember tokens? You see, I could go in the subway with a pocket full of tokens that used to get me all over the city, and guess what? They're useless. They don't work. And so now there's another system that has been put in place that works to transport you under the city, which, by the way, I'm completely off notes here, and put on your seatbelts. Do you know that Manhattan's like a big rock, right? This has nothing to do with my sermon. Just lean into it, all right? Anyway, all right? Did you see the size of the buildings they build on top of those big rock? Now, who had the great idea that we should dig underneath the big rock to put in subways? All right, thank you for the one person who laughed. I'm just thinking that just sounds crazy, you know? It seems like, anyway, okay, let's get back to the point. He's never outdated. Being eternal, God is immutable. He's unchanging. Being eternal, he never wears out. Here's the reality, and it's so beautiful. 
God is um, the answer. Jesus is the answer to every generational's problems and questions. Do you know that? Jesus is the answer for every generation and problems. Every single one. Your, your grandparents, did they love Jesus? Mine did. It was awesome. Jesus was the answer in their day. My great-great-grandchildren, Jesus is going to be the answer. Jesus will always be the answer. He's eternal. He's not, he's not going through the ravages of time the way we are. Time does not have the power to destroy Jesus uh, and, and make him irrelevant. Isn't that good news? At the same time, he stepped into time with us. I also have to quickly tell you that, that there are, there, it seems to be waning a little bit, but there was a movement in Christianity called open theism. Uh, open theism was the belief that God moves in time with us, that he's not outside of time. Open theism is a heret, uh, heretical false view of God. And what they would say is that God knows everything about yesterday, and he knows everything about the moment, but he has no idea about tomorrow that he's a God who journeys with us. And here's why they did it, I believe. You see, they wanted to look at Newtown, Connecticut and get God out of the, the equation of being in control and crazy stuff like that happening. And so I think what they try to do is they try to sanctify God and clean up God and they wanna say, well, God really is in time with us and because he's in time with us, he's got no leverage, he's got no power. And why does he have no power? Because they didn't want him to have any culpability. Make sense? It's wrong. Our God is eternal. Our God's outside of time. Uh, our God is not just journeying with us. Our God is, is above us. Uh, you listen, if he's just journeying with us, if he is maybe like Joan Osborne, just another stranger on the bus, he, how much help will he get? You see, God has, to, God has to still be God in Newtown, Connecticut. He has to be God who is in control of every single thing. And the reality that things are broken and wrong. So we can't clean him up to say he had nothing to do with this as far as being sovereign God. We know that sovereign good God is not ever evil. That man's sinfulness caused this. But at the same time, we know that God is, is, is here. And he knew about it. He knew about it. He knew about that 20-year-old's birth 20 years ago, and he didn't stop it. But I want to say, what has he stopped? And what is he stopping? And what is he restraining? And the fact is that he's outside of time in a way that he can leverage us and give us hope. He's just not in there with us with no hope. Time does not have that power over him. He's not going through the change, the pains of change in a withered out body. Jesus is relevant for every situation you ever find yourself in. That's the point. Jesus will be relevant for whatever situation you will ever, ever find yourself in. Second thing about that is Jesus is never late. Or third thing I should say, Jesus is never late. Jesus is always on time. It's a cute little phrase. You've probably seen it all over the Christian bookstores that Jesus is always on time. It's kind of an irritating phrase to me, to be honest with you. And it seems like we use it when it's convenient and I don't always really like it. Um, but haven't you heard it that God is never, uh, never late? God is always on time. Well, what does that mean? I think the bigger picture means this is that we are always marred by time. We are always controlled by time. 
Even when we plan things perfectly, time has a way of biting us, does it not? I mean, you got everything planned, you got everything worked out, and there's an accident somewhere. Or, or something happens outside of your control, and you are reminded that you and I are under a, a, a master called time, are we not? We cannot be above it. We are lost in it. Man, I'm telling you, there's a lot of soapboxes today. I didn't explain on this one either. You know, I think is one of the most interesting things about our society, traffic reports. Because what do traffic reports do? They tell us about people who are having their worst day ever and how it's annoying to us and how to avoid them like the plague, how to steer around them, right? I mean, seriously, there's a big accident in I-4. Yeah, we shut down all the lanes. Uh, you don't want to go on I-4. I mean, can you imagine a, tax, a, a, a traffic report says there's a big accident on I-4 and it's Christmas time and someone just lost a parent. Let's go to prayer. Someone's life has been forever changed. And we need to worry about something more than getting to work on time. My view on traffic reports. But Jesus is truly able to be unrestrained by time in a way that God shows up on time always. He will never say to us, hey, I try to get here sooner. You know, I knew you were going through tough stuff. I try to get here sooner, but you should have seen what was going on in heaven. Or you should have seen what was going on. I, I couldn't get to you. I'm sorry, I tried. So here's the interesting reality of that. If God truly is always on time, I mean, we got to live with God's timing, right? And that's just the bottom line. If he's never late, there's a way of bowing to him as God and loving him as God and trusting his timing. I'm telling you, this is really hard stuff. I feel like God's working on me in that area. I feel like in my, my life is I want to be one who says, God, I, I want to love you and trust you when your timing's not my timing. Because typically when, when his timing's not my timing, I get really upset with him. And I want to cram him back into my schedule. And rarely do I want to bow before him in his schedule. He's eternal. He's outside of time to help us. He's eternal. He'll never change and he'll always be relevant for us. He's eternal. He'll always be on time. Secondly, a son is given to us who's father. Wow. Now, a few words have to be said on this um, briefly. There is one true and living God that is revealed to us in creation and more clearly through his word. There is one true living, true God who is one, but he has revealed himself as a God who has three separate persons. In this one living, true God, there is a Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They are equal in power and glory. They are separate and distinct in person, and yet they are one in God. Let's pray. I mean, come on, you guys, that's a mystery, right? But that is true of who God has revealed himself to us through his word. And so we, he tells us, we are those who have to worship him in spirit and truth, and we have to worship him as he is in the mystery of that three persons in one true God. We do not have the ability, or we have the ability, we don't have the right to make God like Mr. Potato Head. 
Mr. Potato Head God is a God that we make of our own image and we make him the way we want him. That's not God. We don't have the power to make God who he should be. So we have to worship the God who is. Now also, when it says a son will be given and he will be father, this does not mean that the father became the son and the son, after the uh, crucifixion, became the Holy Spirit. That this is called modalism, where a one God who becomes three different things. Like those Transformers. Anybody ever have Transformers that they get all these different things? I was trying to bring one up here. I couldn't find my kids' Transformers. So that's not a transforming God as far as a father becomes a son who becomes a spirit. That's, that's, a, that's another wrong thing about it. It's, it's heresy. It's a separate father, separate son, a separate Holy Ghost. So the question that you will ask and I will ask, well, how in the world does he be father? I mean, what does that mean? If he's son, how can he be father? And I'm going to give you three things quickly to tell you about how it means that he be father. Jesus is father in the sense that he gives us our identity. He's father in the sense that he provides our security. And he's father in the sense that he sets our priorities. Those three things. The first one is this, is our identity. Oftentimes, Scripture will reveal to us there, there was one who represented the many. Think of Abraham, Father Abraham. We call him Father. He's a father of nations. He was the one who would represent many. It's kind of a headship role. Scripture tells us that every one of you, every one of us, everyone who has ever been will be identified, listen to this, will be identified to God by one of two people. That there'll be a headship, there'll be an identity over all of us. It's theological stuff, but it's good. That we will be either identified with Adam and the original man who was created in his sinfulness and fall, he is our representative. Uh, theologians will say he is our federal head. What he did, we would have done. What he deserves, we get. He represents us. His guilt is our guilt. His shame is our shame. His corruption is our corruption. We, every single one of us, ever since Adam, through natural, uh, uh, just having children, have been passed down Adam's stuff both of his junk and his shame. Argue with God if you like, but that's the way our God says. All of us are in Adam or all of us are in Christ. Scripture calls that the second Adam. Why he had to be born of a virgin? He had to be sinless like the first Adam. Unlike the first Adam, he had to do it all perfectly. Unlike the first Adam who fell and brought on death, this one brought on life through his obedience and his death on the cross. Amazing. And he says that now you will be either in Adam or in Christ Jesus. And in Christ Jesus, you will be considered holy. You will be considered righteous. You will be considered forgiven. So when it says he will be everlasting father, it's talking about the fact of our identity as father and also identity as king. Oftentimes in ancient Near East, a king will be known as father. And certainly our king is known as father as well. Let me ask this question. What is truly your identity? What is your identity? I think specifically of young people. Where are you going to find your identity? Older folks, uh, business folks, where is your identity? We all have to ask the question, are we in Adam or in Christ? 
And then are we living our lives in Adam or in Christ? Jesus provides security, or he, he's the provider for us, is the second thing is Father. Uh, when we got to New York, uh, we zipped right down to uh, 9-11 site. I remember where I worked there. I worked there in the 80s. and never forget seeing the World Trade Center announced to stand there with those two gaping holes in a very beautiful little waterfall that kind of disappears into this abyss. And I couldn't help but think of Psalm 46, the eternal God is our refuge and that he will be our strength in the times of trouble, an ever-present help in times of trouble. Jesus is our provider. He is our, our strength. Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. I'm gonna provide for you. I love what scripture says about God. He says he feeds the wild kingdom. All the lions look to God for food. How cool is that? And he says, more importantly, I wanna give food to your soul and feed you lead you beside still waters and green pastures. Provide for us. He's, he's the father as far as security. And lastly, Jesus sets our priorities. He says that in all of life, we should seek first his kingdom. He is the king of, seek ye first the kingdom of God and everything else uh, will be added unto you. That the priority of your life should be the gospel of Jesus Christ. The priority of your life should be the kingdom. He truly is the priority. Eternal Father, everlasting Father, eternal to help us, a Father to represent us, a King to rule us, a Savior to rescue us. That is our Jesus. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for loving us enough to send a child to be born for us who's everlasting. Thank you for loving us enough to send a son, a son who will be father. Father, I pray that we would truly find our identity and our security and our priorities in him. I thank you that, Jesus, you are eternal in a way that you can rescue us that are lost in time, a way that you're never outdated, in a way that you're always on time. So, Father, we bow before you Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, loving the fact you love us and are for us. And we ask that, God, we would now live our lives in response to everlasting Father in a way that brings you joy and brings us peace. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen.